0: Have you ever logged into your online banking account only to find out that it's closed? That's what happened to me when I signed up for my first business banking account. I bet you can see why I'd be interested in ASLO, a banking platform made for small businesses. Instead of the days or weeks it takes to apply for an account at a traditional bank, where you're still required to go in in person. With ASLO, you just go to azlo.com and apply in as little as 10 minutes and there is no waiting to use your account. With ASLO's free instant funding feature, you can deposit up to $1,000 and access it in your account instantly. I recommend signing up now because ASLO was created for us, giving us one less worry regarding our money. Sign up right now with no minimum deposit at azlo.com, aslo.com, slash SPQ, and get a free copy of Aslo's Small Business Starter Guide, spelled A-Z-L-O com slash S-P-Q, and sign up with a free Small Business Starter Guide in no minimum deposit, aslo.com slash S-P-Q. The Maisie Media Podcast Network is alive. And we invite you to be a member of our tribe. And we really hope that you feel the goodness that we want to share with everyone. Because Maisie Media is on a mission to showcase an undoed, undead network of podcasts created to fit into the contemporary woman's lifestyle while bringing female voices and stories to the forefront of podcasting. From lifestyle to learning and beauty to bosses, we're giving you more of what you want to hear. Life is a series of lefts and rights. At Maisie Media, we want to entertain you through the wonderment of life. (laughs) Hey girl, hey, and thanks for dropping into the Switch, Pivot, or Quit podcast. Candid convo for the girl needing a lifestyle plot twist when she's deciding if it's time to switch, pivot, or quit. I'm Ayana Angel and I am your host as well as chief encourager and author. In order for you to hang out with us in this awesome space, all that's required for you to do is sit back, open your mind, and enjoy the show. On today's show, we're chatting with Kathy Heller, host of Don't Keep Your Day Job podcast, business coach, singer, songwriter, and entrepreneur. Kathy is a fire hose of inspiration. Her popular podcast, Don't Keep Your Day Job, was given the number one spot on iTunes recommended list of shows for the new year in 2018 and 2019. Each week, Kathy encourages thousands of listeners to find more purpose in their life and get paid to do what they love full time. Kathy's show has been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, Huffington Post, The New York Times, Inc. Magazine, and it has almost 8 million downloads. She's been featured several times by iTunes and the fans are resonating with how genuine she is. Throughout the show, she's interviewed creative entrepreneurs like actress Jenna Fisher, popular blogger Seth Godin, designer Jonathan Adler, makeup artist Bobby Brown, Jimmy Choo co-founder Tamara Mellon, fitness expert Jillian Michaels, Starbucks' Howard Schultz, and Gretchen Rubin just to name a few. She's a phenomenal coach for creative entrepreneurs and she's helping people everywhere to find a deeper sense of purpose and add their gifts to the world. Kathy often says, purpose is the opposite of depression. And she is truly lifting others to be the happiest version of themselves. So get ready for this good time of a conversation. This should get interesting. Kathy, welcome to the show. Excited to have you. I'm so happy to be here. I loved having you on my show. Yes, that was such a good conversation and I got so much good feedback from all of your listeners. So if you guys have not listened to my interview on Kathy's show, don't keep your day job. Make sure you go and check
1: it out. Oh, that's because you're awesome and everyone gets it immediately and they (laughs) loved you and you have such empowering things to share with people. Well, so do
0: you. So I'm excited to get into this conversation today. Um, Let's start off with your early years. What was your very first paying job?
1: Oh, my first paying job. It's fun to go back (laughs) and think about that. Um, my very first paying job was at the Gap, of course, <gasps> no. uh, at the mall. Yeah, I was folding clothes and bringing people into the fitting rooms. And then I remember I got so excited because during Christmas shopping season, they let me work the cash register. That was <laughs> fun. <laughs> yeah. Big leagues. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. I
0: love that. So as you know, on this podcast, we talk all about the switch, pivot or quit experience, and you have had your own SPQ experience. So share with us a little bit about how we got to where we are today.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I worked that job in high school and then I also worked a second job. My second job after that, I worked a blockbuster video because uh, you could stay out till midnight and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it got me out of the house. And my parents were just in this like it was not good growing up. My parents were really miserable. Then eventually my dad left and my mom was really depressed and we were single parent. She was not happy. I didn't want to be home so I could stay out till midnight and um, I was doing something productive. So it was okay. Um, anyway, I wound up, you know, just feeling pretty broken growing up. I remember seeing all these adults who were so unhappy and my house was, it was a scary place to be. You know, my dad was angry. My mom was depressed. Then he left. We were kind of on our own. And I wanted so much to find joy and meaning, mm-hmm. and it seemed like all these people who were grown ups who told me what to do they were they weren't happy you know right. mm-hmm. and um the thing that I loved to do as a kid that made me happy was um I like to sing, I like to write songs, and I thought, oh well, maybe one day i'll I'll go you know as far from here as possible, and I'll move out to Los Angeles, and I will be successful as a songwriter mm-hmm. and so I, you know, I had that quintessential story of like leaving South Florida when I was just graduating from college, didn't know anybody in LA, came across the country with my old little beat up car and (laughs) just wanted so badly to be a rock star. And I think there was a part of me that wanted so much for people to see me and hear me because I felt so, I felt so invisible because my parents were so wrapped up in their own hell, you know? And when I got out here, sure enough, you know, they don't just like hand you a record deal. It's like a, you know, you got to actually figure that out and it's a pretty yeah. pretty big thing to achieve it but you know I actually did do it um after a few years of writing music with this person and that person and trying to get the right meetings with the right label executives mm. uh and like working a day job because you know I didn't have parental emotional support let alone financial support so i just right. like worked a job and worked for that dream after hours whenever I could. And I eventually did get a record deal and awesome. I got signed to Interscope Records. Wow. Which That's was, pretty big. Yeah. And the, the moment was cool. It was like such a cool moment. I was sitting uh, with Ron Fair, who is my producer. Yes, I know who Ron Fair is. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I was with him and his engineer, Tall Hertzberg, and mm-hmm. his assistant, Buffy Hubblebank, who's still a friend of mine. And
2: mm. Lady
1: Gaga was there recording Paparazzi. It was no. like, yeah, they were recording that. And I was like, I made it. Like, I'm sitting <laughs> in this room, and people are asking me what kind of drink I want, and people are talking to me and listening. Yeah. And then, um, a few months after that, um, I was driving, and Ron called me, and he's like, "Can you pull over? I could tell you're driving? I want to talk to you." And he said, "Jimmy, Iovine wants to drop you from the label. He likes you, and we all like you, but nobody feels a 100 percent certain that we're going to sell hundreds of thousands of millions of records, and we just can't take the risk. So you know, <sighs> yeah. And you know, for a kid who really never felt seen and who had yeah. just finally gotten the like keys to the kingdom and then to be told like sorry no. Mm-hmm. I just felt wow, you know, it was just soul crushing and mm-hmm. what was the worst part of it was that I had absolutely no other path forward. I couldn't see anything else that I was supposed to do, that I could do. Right. And so, I was like, "Oh, I guess this is the part of the story where I have to go be depressed like all the other adults. Like mm-hmm. I guess now I'm supposed to Feel defeated, yeah, and go get some dumb job and sit at some dumb desk and like Mm -hmm. be miserable because that's what grownups tell you to do. They're like, "Oh, you'll be happy on the when you you know when you retire, you'll be happy on the weekends, you know, Mm -hmm. not during the week." Grow up, get a real job, be practical, be responsible, like responsible, grown up. All of those things meant suffering and like being bored and and building other people's dreams just so you can get like a paycheck. So. I was like fine I give in I'll do it and so really yeah I like got a bunch of jobs I started out working at a nonprofit because I thought oh well if I'm not gonna do something I love I'll do something nice you know mm-hmm. and it was so dysfunctional and and awful I was like oh God behind the scenes of these nonprofits is it's hard. Like no one's making money and people are arguing over grant letters. And I was like, I don't want to be in this. And so I left. And then my friend said to me, well, if you're not going to do your dream, you should just do something that makes a lot of money because you're already working. You may as well just make as much money as you can make while you're working. So I'm like, well, what would that be? She's like, well, you could either be like a financial person. I'm like, oh, I'm so bad at numbers. She's like, oh, or you could go into like the real estate world. The real estate people make so much money. So <laughs> next thing I know, I'm introduced to this guy who lives in Brentwood who sells commercial real estate, which is even uh-huh. more lucrative. He buys these like $300 million shopping centers and he drives a Bentley and he says to me, you, you have a good personality. Why don't you come work for me? I can show you everything I know. And I'm like, cool. I'll just make money. Yeah. I'll yeah. Work for this guy. yeah. 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 <laughs> So I work for this guy, and next thing I know, he gives me a budget to go buy like pantsuits because he wants me to come to the office with like suits on, with like Mm heels. I didn't Mm -hmm. even own a pair of heels. So I like start going to the (laughs) office. And next thing I know, he says, What kind of car do you want? You got to pull up to a meeting, like you, like you own it. So I gotta get you a nice car. I'll lease it for you. I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing. Yeah. Gets me, well, he gives me the money, right? Part of my Uh salary. I get a Mercedes convertible. I'm 25. Mm. I am making 150 grand and I am crushing it. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm a single person who's able yeah. to get sushi whenever I want it, buy the <laughs> jeans and I'm doing it. I'm doing it and I'm yeah. working, I'm making this money which in hindsight, it's not even that much money, but as a 25-year-old, it was tons of money. Yeah, you feel like you're on top of the world. Oh, my God. So,
0: okay, quick question. This is real estate, right? A lot of real estate, from what I hear from people, they are on commission, it's slow to start. So did he just sort of like start you off with a salary
1: as yeah, like we weren't selling how Yeah, we weren't selling houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a totally different model. Okay, with, with his business, he was buying three hundred million dollars shopping centers, mm-hmm. and my job was to get on the phone with different what they call principals, investors, mm-hmm. and set meetings for him. And then he would sell off pieces of shopping centers to like twenty five investors at a time. Mm-hmm. So it was a completely different game. We weren't okay not selling a house, right? There was no, like cookie spray, and like you're like no. (laughs) So yeah, he paid me a salary to get on the phone and set meetings for him. And so That was actually also good in hindsight because I learned how to like pick up the phone and call people I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't nervous because I had nothing to lose because I didn't know what I was talking about anyway. (laughs) And I let him do all the talking in terms of what the specifics were. All I had to do, he told me, was like make a friend and get someone interested enough to want to have a meeting with him. So really all I did was like talk to people about their life and their what they did for vacation and then like we would like like each other as people and we would get the meeting set up. So Mm. that's what I was doing. And then about about two years later, I was 26, 27 and I'm looking at my life and I am miserable. I was like, this is so weird. I have money. Mm -hmm. I can buy things. I'm set. My job is relatively easy. This guy loves me. He says I'm his secret weapon because I'm so good with people Mm. and I hate my job and I hate my life. And I don't want, it felt like golden handcuffs. You're like handcuffed, but with gold, but you're still handcuffed, right? Cause yeah. you're miserable. Yeah. So like, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I got to get out of here. So I quit the job and my friends and family were like, how on earth are you that dumb? Like you're going to quit a job where you make 150 grand to make phone calls for this guy who loves you who will do anything for you. He already yeah. told you he'll double your salary next year. I'm like, "No, I cannot breathe." Right? Right, right. And ha- having had a mom who was struggling with depression still to this day, mm-hmm. I didn't want to just make money. I want to find happiness and joy. I was I didn't come out to LA to sell real estate with this guy. I wanted yeah. to do something meaningful.
0: Yeah. So
1: I I asked myself, is there any way now that I quit my job that I could do music some other way? Like I think a lot of times people who are listening, maybe you've related to this, we think it's like all or nothing. Like it's either on Beyonce or nothing, right? <laughs> but it's not true. And I mm. didn't know that at the time. And so I started asking myself, I was desperate. I'm like, I can't go back to a job I hate, especially once you've made good money at a job and now you're leaving in that way. You're like, mm. okay, now it's not even enough for me to have success. It's not fulfilling. So that's like the ultimate feeling of failure. You're like, okay, I found some success, but I don't like it. Right. So I was asking myself, is there any way for me to do music without being a superstar? Are there any other degrees of getting to do this? And what I realized was I started doing some research and you know, when we get resourceful, we can find the answers if we just ask the right questions. And so the new question was, how else could I do it? And I realized that all these artists, I never even saw this before, but I started asking the question and I saw a new model, which is a lot of songwriters were writing music for TV shows and ads like, Old Navy and and Walmart and shows like Grey's Anatomy. And I was like, wow, I never even considered that. And so long story short, I decided to make that my goal to figure out who were the people at NBC, who were the people at Sony Pictures, who were the people at these ad agencies who were choosing the songs for the TV shows and the the ads. And how could I connect with those people? And then how could I write the right songs that they would actually pay me for so I could wind up doing music? So I wound up doing that. I wound up getting on the phone, right? Uh Because at this point I wasn't afraid to pick up the phone. Yeah. You're familiar Um, with that. I was familiar. And I was good at the people part. Like I didn't just start talking to people and pitching them things. I would listen, like Mm. asking questions more, Mm -hmm. you know, like, what do you need? And instead of saying, here's three songs I wrote 10 years ago, do you want to use them? I, I would be more like, wait, like, what kind of story are you telling with this film right now? Or what is the Mm -hmm. ad about? And oh, wait, okay, so let me see if I can be a service to you. And I started to make friends in the right places. I started to do outreach that started to click. Mm -hmm. I remember once sending an email to like 65 people who worked different uh, TV shows. And I sent them an email that said mochas and music. And it was a picture of a cartoon girl, like a little cartoon character girl with a guitar mm-hmm. and a plus sign. And then a picture of a Starbucks Frappuccino. And it was like super messy. Like I'm not a good graphic <laughs> designer. And it said, step one, tell me your favorite Starbucks drink. Step two, tell me what date and time to drop it off. And step three, I'll leave you with some music and some coffee. Wow. And um, a bunch of people didn't even open it, you know, and then some people said, no, you know, leave me alone. Mm-hmm. You're annoying. (laughs) And then I remember there was like 26, 27 people who said, Fine, cool. You can bring me coffee. Mm -hmm. And I walked into these 26, 27 offices with coffee. And would you believe it? But no joke. And you know, this is true because it's in print. That the next year, Billboard magazine wrote a full page article about me, full page with a with a quarter size page picture. And it was all about how 26 people had used my music in film and TV. And the title of the article was Triumph of the Indie Hustle. And it was all about <laughs> wow. this indie girl who was like super DIY, who like yes. was writing her own check by like making the call, being her own agent. And then I just did it again and again and again. And so basically then for eight years, mm-hmm. That's all I did. I would write music for film and TV and I was making like probably 300 a year Mm. writing songs for film and TV. And then just to lead us- Wait, let's be clear. 300,000. Yeah.
0: Yes. Okay. Just so people know, like she was making real money at this at this point.
1: (laughs) Yeah, real money. And actually I was like, oh, I guess this will be my forever. Okay. Until- I started to get that bug again of like I wanted the next phase, the next frontier, the next challenge. You know, Mm -hmm. I knew there was more I could be doing because I started to like reach a comfort zone again. Like, okay, okay, I'm writing music. I've had my, you know, I at that point I had had my songs in everywhere. You know, McDonald's several times, Walmart, Kellogg's, Creighton Barrel, and then television shows like Mm -hmm. Switched at Birth, Pretty Little Liars, The Office, Parks and Rec, like. American Airlines, like everywhere. So I was like, all right, I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. And what else? What else? Yeah. Well, the what else is actually, it's usually there. We just sometimes don't listen. And so I started to open my eyes and I started to hear the knocking on the next door. And knocking came from other artists who were asking me if I could pitch them, if oh. I could help them. And I used to say, no. And Mm -hmm. then I realized I was missing an opportunity. Actually, my my husband's best friend came over and he was reading the story about me in Billboard magazine. And he actually got it before I did. He said, you know, people are going to read this and this is your next business. People are going to ask you to pitch their music for them. People are going to ask you all of these things you do for yourself to do for them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, that'll that'll compromise my artistry. People won't see me as an artist. I think we have these like, you know, I can only be this, I can't be that. You know how like you do your podcast and you started a podcast network and it's like, Mm If anything, it only makes you more cool as a podcaster. I think we sometimes like pigeonhole ourselves. Like I have yeah. to just do one thing. It's like, no, like help wherever you can. It only, it only like levels up everything you do. Right. So after like two years of all these people reaching out to me, I, I finally said, fine. And I started to help one artist. I remember mm-hmm. for free. I would just like meet with this guy. He would bring me like a Starbucks, and I would teach him stuff, and I would tell him who to reach out to, and give him email addresses, and tell him what to write, and da da da. Mm-hmm. And then he kept wanting more information, and he wanted me to give him feedback on the songs I would send, or who, I, how I would send it, or blah blah blah. And then. I was like, wait, I think I'm selling myself short. I think I have a lot to offer here. And then I was featured on someone else's music podcast and all these people heard it. And this woman reached out to me and she said, can't you teach an online course? Cause I don't live in LA and I want to learn everything (laughs) that you're doing. And I'm like, online course, that's like Japanese. What is that? Yeah. So, Anyway, long story short, three and a half years ago, I started my first online course called Six-Figure Songwriting where I was teaching songwriters how to write music for film and TV. It was just like a total like whim. like Let's try mm-hmm. this. Let's see what mm-hmm. this is like. And would you believe my very first launch of that? I didn't know what I was doing. 147 people took the class. Wow. It was $1,000. So wow. it was $147,000 and I taught 147 people.
0: Wow. And they
1: all loved it. We only had <laughs> two people cancel. So okay, 145 <laughs> people. And then I just knew I needed to do it again. And so then I launched it a second time. But the time when I launched it the second time, I was more confident. Mm-hmm. And that time we had like 312 people join the class. I made $312,000. And then the following year, I realized that the class could be even better and I could add these bells and whistles and I could actually yeah. make it you know, tighter. And so we charged $2,000 for it and they bought it. And wow, that class wound up making $2 million a year. No. Yeah. So then I had my own career plus the class.
0: So were you, there's so many questions that I have. Like this is an amazing story. Okay.
1: I want to put the cherry on the top for you. Put it on. Put it on. Put it
0: on (laughs) girl. Let's go. So
1: the cherry on the top is that When I started teaching that music class, Mm -hmm. one of the girls in the music class said this like little quick thing to me, which actually changed my life forever. And she said, you know what you're teaching is not just for songwriters, right? Mm. What you are teaching, anybody who has a dream job, who has no clue how to like go out there and get it and give it to themselves, they could be inspired by this. You should start a podcast on how to actually make your dream job a possibility because mm. you're so good at actually taking something that feels like a pipe dream and making it real and finding a way to do the outreach and getting your client and da da da. So I I was like all right, I'll start a podcast. I didn't even know how or what. I was like I'll buy a yeah. microphone, I'll just start it. So <laughs> I start the podcast and 2 weeks later we're like number 2 in the business category. You know, you 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 you, know, you get all of this like yeah. sometimes there's like a frenzy. But we've stayed, we're like number 24, 25. We've stayed on the chart. Um, We now have over 9 million downloads of the show. Amazing. And uh, I got a book deal. And so now, in addition to my music business, which now I have other people running, For me and I pop in there only like once a month to to, to do some coaching there. Mm
2: -hmm. Really what
1: I do now is I do that exact same thing for any person who has a creative passion or any kind of dream and they want to figure out how to make a living doing it. I do that with my podcast, which is called Don't Keep Your Day Job. And then I teach courses through that. And that's been like, oh my God, so rewarding, so fun. And I just wrote a book on the same topic. So So let's get into whatever you want. That's a a complete story. That's all I got.
0: Mind blown. Okay. So, so yes, you just wrote a book. It's called the same thing as the podcast. Don't keep your day job. Okay. Okay. Let's start here. You decide to leave the real estate, the commercial real estate industry. Do you have a cushion? Did you create a cushion or something for yourself? What was your plan? Although I know you you were like, "Hey, I'm I'm over this. I got to do something else." Yeah. I, I think you probably got to a point that a lot of people get to when you're just like, "I can't see another day existing like oh, this. God, yeah. I don't really care what the sacrifice looks like. I just yeah. So, did you have any type of plan that you had started to think yeah. of- I totally
1: cushion. did. And by okay. the way, what I teach people is don't, don't just jump, like build a runway for yourself. Yeah. You build the runway in one of two ways. You can either save some money so that you have like six months put aside, mm-hmm. right? Because it's going to take you six months to figure out what your idea is, who your audience is and validate that idea. So mm-hmm. you need to either do that while you have the job, which you can do on the side, right? or you can save up a cushion of money and, and do it that way. What I did was I saved up a cushion of money, did it that way, except that I was really running out of money before that music started to take off. And so Mm. what I've encouraged people to do is build it while you have the job. And the reason I know that that works is because remember that I started the course while I had three children and my music business. So my course was a side hustle to that. Then I started the podcast as a side hustle to the course, which was already a side hustle to the to the music career, to being a mom of three kids. Mm -hmm. And I was able to give that its time before that took off while I had all that other stuff going on. And so if you work smart, you can definitely figure out what action steps to take while you're at the job so that you can then eventually quit in six months. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, do you think that, because you went at this, what seems like alone, or you correct me if there were people along the way guiding you through, Do you think that it is imperative for someone to have somebody sort of like guiding them through? Is that the hack or do you think it's necessary? Or are there certain people who maybe just have this innate um, idea or gravitational pull to know the things to do at the right times?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important question. The way I would answer it is this, it is such a hack to have someone who knows the things to do, because I don't think people do. Mm. I don't think anyone's a unicorn and knows the right things to do at the right time. What I think that successful people do is they're, they're action-proned, like they'll mm-hmm. take action even when they don't know. And so because they're taking massive action all the time and they're willing to do things when they're messy and scared and broken and not quite ready and they're just doing, 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 they'll eventually figure out what the right steps are. right? Right. And so because most people really are averse to that, they don't want to do something unless they know, unless the website's built, unless they're perfect and da, da, da. They take very little action, which leaves them To very little ideas of what's actually working, right? Like a scientist goes in the lab, tries this, 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 and this, gets in there, gets messy, and most of the things don't work, but they're excited because they're like, okay, now I know what doesn't work, but now I have one little clue of what does work. But that's only happening through testing, 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 testing. Mm -hmm. And so if you can find someone who's walked your path who now knows the things that work, that's a great shortcut, right? The other piece is that I think the ultimate thing is you can have the right strategy. But the number one reason people don't take action is actually, I don't, I don't think it's because they don't have the right strategy, even though that would really help. And I think that that's the excuse we use like, oh, it's just because I don't have the right strategy. I think everyone is missing the momentum. And that comes from the belief that it's possible and the belief in yourself Mm -hmm. and the belief that you deserve it. Ooh, the deserving portion. Yeah, like if you don't believe that you actually deserve this or that it's even doable or possible for you, Mm -hmm. you're not even gonna take the action because you're gonna be like, why would I do any of these things? Because I don't see it like actually happening. Right, right. So if you can have someone help you through that piece, I think that that's really good. My husband says about me that I have the will of a small country. So, like, (laughs) I will just, I will just freaking bite the bullet and go for it. Even if I feel like I'm going to throw up, I'm like going to do it anyway. Yeah. But I mean, I wish that somebody would have been able to deliver those answers to me sooner because I didn't have me teaching me. So, I had to write. 40 of the wrong songs and send them to the wrong, you know, the brown people until I finally realized who the the audience really was for me and Mm. how to really understand how to serve them. And now I can teach someone else that, but Mm -hmm. I had to figure that out by taking tons and tons of action and proper action until I really figured out what the right steps were.
0: So in taking a lot of that action, did you find yourself getting to points where you're like, is this worth it? Or am I like, I'm doing this, I did that, I tried this, I tried that. Because like you said, sometimes taking that action and throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks, it can cost you money, it can cost you time, all these things. What was that journey like if you didn't have anybody sort of like teaching you, even figuring out who your target audience was you know yeah. how, how what did this look like from this kind of like i'm going to call it your r and d phase <laughs>
1: yeah exactly i mean it's so easy to look at someone like any any person who's mm-hmm. successful and then just like see the highlight reel and you forget yeah. right and so it's so important to shine a light on all the losses right mm-hmm. because if you the more you lose the more you're going to win right and so really the people who are succeeding is because they've just been they lost more and they lost quicker. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and then it gets you to the next one and the next one and the next one. I feel like it's like having a, 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 like this giant set of keys and you just keep trying the different key until the one opens the right door, you know? Mm-hmm. And so for me, there were many times, you know, I think for all of us, we're like this, but especially for creative people with big hearts, we're really sensitive, you know? And you're you're not just trying to make money like like with mm-hmm. a hedge fund and stock options. You're trying to make something out of like, who are you? How can you serve the world? What talents do you have? So when you put things out there and they're not received or you work super hard
0: yeah. and it doesn't
1: work, it feels like personal and it hurts and you feel hopeless and you get defeated and there've been so many times like that for me. I remember, you know, we didn't talk about all the different incarnations of my my world, but there was one point where I had writ- written a bunch of music for film and TV and I had written a few songs for Disney. And there was a woman at Disney who said, you should have your own TV show for kids with your music and you're so inspiring and positive. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because it's kind of similar to what I do now, except what I do is for adults, right? Mm -hmm. And so like there was a little bit of an inkling that she could see that I could be like an encouraging force for other people. And she said, oh, and it will involve your music. So she tried to make a pilot with me and it didn't work. And mm. then because of that, I met somebody at the Jim Henson company, the Jim Henson company, of course, created like every one of the Sesame Street characters to all the Muppets and everything else. Right. And this woman at Henson, she saw the same thing in me and she said, oh, well, I know they couldn't make it work, but we'll make it work. We'll create a TV show with you mm. and it'll be all your music and it'll be so cool. It'll be for little kids and their parents will watch it too and they'll love it. And we spent two years writing the music, creating the show And we went to this network and it was like an almost. Then we went to this network and almost. And finally every network passed and said no. And I remember the day after the last meeting, the last network, there was and this is before streaming services. This is before like Amazon or Hulu Mm -hmm. or Netflix. There was only like you could either get a slot on a network or you or you didn't. Yeah. So there wasn't like extra room for just creative people to like make content whenever they wanted. So this is like 2007 or something. Mm -hmm. So, um, what happened was I remember going home and crying and I thought it's just never going to happen. I'm never going to find my place. I always felt like no matter what I had to like reinvent another widget because remember, even though I was making 300 a year, Mm -hmm. I had to keep that up. Right. Every time somebody licensed a song of mine. Now, if I wanted to make that money again, I had to write a new song. And I remember thinking, I have kids now. Like it's exhausting to go to the studio 15 hours a week, writing new music, coming up with something just as good as what mm-hmm. you were before, you know? Mm-hmm. And it felt like it wasn't sustainable after a while. Mm. And we wanted to buy a house with the money, but it was like hard to buy the house trusting that you're gonna just keep making. It wasn't like $300,000 working at somebody else's company. I had to keep generating it. So right. I felt like, Oh, it's so frustrating. And then I thought, Oh, maybe this TV show will be the thing that like kind of takes me on this ride and I'll be able to rest and just do this show for five years, 10 years, whatever. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you know, they all said no. You know, like that was a moment I was like, mm-hmm. Oh wow. And I really believed that that was going to happen. And yeah. I had like written a deal with like my attorney that I would make such and such money per episode. It was going to be big money and really cool. And it all fell apart. Wow. And That's happened many times. Like before I started my podcast, I remember when my songwriting course was doing really well, I sat down and wrote a book to Mm -hmm. teach songwriters what to do. And I thought, oh, this will be a slam dunk. I've got all these great things to say. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to all these companies that produce books for the music industry. And every person was like, hard pass, not interested. And sure enough, you know, I wind up continuing on, doing the course and then I start the podcast and 2 weeks into having the podcast, I get 3 book deal offers. You, this this show needs no. to be a podcast. You need to <laughs> This show needs to be a book rather. Like this podcast needs to be a book. Don't keep yeah. your dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just kind of amazing how when something's supposed to be yours, when something is really the right fit and you are in alignment, the door just flies open Mm -hmm. and when it's not quite the right fit. And by the way, if I'm being honest, there was a part of me when I was on set filming that pilot for this kid's TV show, Mm -hmm. I talked myself into it. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I don't really want to do a show for kids my whole life. It doesn't Mm -hmm. feel exactly like what lights me up, but I could do it. I like, you know, I want to be a mom someday. You know, this is before I was a mom. I was like, I could do it. And it was like, not, I was kind of selling myself on it. Yeah. You
0: weren't a hundred percent.
1: It wasn't a hundred percent. And, and so, and even with the record deal, I remember sitting there thinking, I'm kind of selling out. Like I'm going to become this girl who's going to just wear what they tell me to and Yep, be selling more my, my body than my voice. Yep. And mm-hmm. I, ugh, like I knew on some mm-hmm. level it really, and to be really fair, I also knew it wasn't really my gift. Like, I think there are times where we make something that's good, but then there are other times where we make something and we're like, what I just did here, that's amazing. And I knew when I was listening to Stephanie, to Lady Gaga, I was like, she's an Olympian. Like her Mm. voice scared the pants off me. I was like, okay, like I don't sing like that. Like I have a nice (laughs) voice Mm -hmm. and I think we have to be honest with ourselves because we try to find a way to do all these other people's jobs. Yeah. Then we, we lose sight like, no, we have a job in this world that we're supposed to be doing and not trying to be like them. And mm. when we're trying to talk ourselves into it or we know it's not our ideal like peak performance, but we're, we're trying to sell people on it. It's like, no, there's work for you to do that you've got to do or else the world misses out on that thing that you were really meant to deliver.
0: Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. I feel like we all have our special niche, but it's just up to you to kind of figure out what that is. Yeah. And I think if you don't do the work, you may not figure out what it is. Right. When it's time to expand your team, look no further than Indeed. Indeed knows it's a cautious time for businesses across America. Uncertainty, so many decisions, financial commitments. So now your next hire is more crucial than ever. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, you heard me right, Indeed is going to get you the hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering SPQ listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com SPQ. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com SPQ. Terms and conditions apply offer valid through September 30th, 2020. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Now, I like Blinkist because I feel like I'm learning something new in half the time that it would normally take me. But I'm not alone because 8 million people are using Blinkist right now. And it has a massive growing library. From self-help to business to health to history books, Blinkist has the latest titles from bestsellers like Becoming by Michelle Obama as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had the time to. The best thing is that you can get unlimited access for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for you our SPQ audience, go to Blinkist.com slash switch to try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash switch to start your free seven-day trial now. So what, what do you say to people when, because I hear this a lot and I'm sure you do too, when they're like, but I'm
1: good at so many things. Oh, yeah. I'm so right. talented That's at so, so many worse. things. <laughs> I know. And what the, do I do? <laughs> it's such a good question. And the thing is, I remember when we had we had two great people on our show that talked about this. We had this woman on, Angela Duckworth, who wrote a book called Grit. Mm-hmm. And I've heard of that, yes. Yeah. And, and she was saying that only a third of the world, when they've done the, the studies on this, a third of all... Of the humans in the world, mm-hmm. we have a sense of like, that's my jam. Like, we'll mm. be like, I'm supposed to be a dancer or I'm supposed to be a writer or whatever. And then two thirds of us mm. don't know. Right. And I was stunned by that. I'm like, is that true? Oh my God. <laughs> and so, what she said is really smart. She said, and therefore, the beauty of what we're supposed to do in our journey is to explore and to mm. try things and have the courage to try things and the clarity follows the action. Mm. So what I encourage people to do is I'll say, you know, make a list of five dream lives. Like if you didn't have to be quote unquote practical, right. if you could just dream it up, just take out a pen and just see what flows. If you could just give yourself the space to dream and, you know, write five things and people will be like, Oh, that's so weird. I wrote that. I want to like be a travel writer. I didn't even know that. Or <laughs> I wrote that I want to um, open a bakery or whatever it is. And then I would say, Close your eyes and picture yourself doing each one of those things, and just notice which one made you feel in your physical body like the most like expansive, and which one made you feel your chest got like a little tight. And then circle the one that made you feel the most like excited and alive, and write down next to it one teensy step you could take to try it or learn more about it, Mm -hmm. and remember that. The things that I, you know, I've had all these great people on my show from Jenna Fisher to Howard Schultz to Mandy Moore, Bobby Brown, the makeup artist, we, Brian Grazer. I've met so many incredible people, you, right? Mm-hmm. And it is exactly like you say in your the name of your podcast, Switch, Pivot, or Quit. It's like every person I've met who's really successful it was something that developed, right? Like they didn't right. start in the place that they ended up, but they right. started here, and then it's kind of like a scavenger hunt. Like you go to this one place that you feel moved to go to, mm-hmm. and then there's a little clue, and mm-hmm. you think of the next thing to do, and then you get some more clarity, and it starts like just like if you go into a dark room and you develop a photo, it's it starts to do that. It's like you develop it over time, right? And, and part of that happens through it's like a dance, like. I want people to hear this because it's so important, but every one of us was built to serve. Mm. We were put here to serve other people. And the thing that lights up strongest in the brain is when we feel we're contributing. So mm. the thing we're all deeply see- seeking, it's not like happiness, like happiness is fleeting. We're seeking purpose. We're seeking a sense that our lives are making the world better, making other people's lives better. So right. therefore, how do you get led? Because you look for where the world is giving you feedback mm-hmm. that you are helping the most. And so that's what winds up being such an important part of the pos- puzzle that you couldn't generate on your own because it's a dance between you and the human beings that you were created to help. So that piece is so important. And I remember when we had Seth Godin on my show and he said, the essence of any successful business or relationship mm-hmm. is radical empathy. Radical. Mm. Mm. Wow. And so, if you have radical empathy, then you don't just decide what you're going to do with your life. Mm-hmm. That would leave out the most important piece, mm-hmm. which is who am I here for? Right. But if you start to do something, and you get the feedback, like maybe a little over here, a little over there. Like when you're playing that game, hot, cold, when you're a kid, right? It's like warmer, warmer. Yeah. The world starts saying like, God, I love that you write music, but could you teach me how? You're like, no, no, no. I don't do that. Wow. A lot of people want me to do that. Maybe I should do it. Then you do it. You get a lot of feedback. Please more, more, more. It's like, maybe I should do more of that. That seems pretty easy. It's pretty straightforward, right? i helping mm-hmm. people. And mm-hmm. then people say, oh, why don't you start a podcast? I think other people might want to learn this. Okay. That's feedback. When I did the record deal thing and I got dropped, that was also important feedback. The answer was no. And I had the humility to say, okay, right? Mm. And what I did hear, by the way, is that they said to me, your music is not a slam dunk for top 40 radio, but it really would work well in a soundtrack. And I remember when I went and got my job job, I thought, well, good, great. Good for you. I'm glad you think my music is good for a soundtrack. But two years later, what I were remember you thinking, I wonder how I could make music just for soundtracks and yeah. be back, right? So mm-hmm. I took the note mm-hmm. and the truth is even in your marriage, even with your best friend, you want to be a better best friend, like ask her what she wants for Christmas. Like ask your husband how he loves to be, what's his love language? Like right. that's the same thing with your career. So it's not this arbitrary, what am I supposed to do with my life? And I'm going to figure it out on my, on my own it's I got to get in the world. I got to get messy. I have to have the courage to put my hand up and give of myself Mm -hmm. and be willing to hear where I am actually offering the most value and then double down and 6X down.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. That's so, 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 so true and like big. Um, I was actually just on Instagram live the uh, last week and I was talking about this and I was having this understanding in my mind as i was saying it very similar to what you're saying it's like look people think that passion and purpose are these things that you just reach out and grab and say i'm going to claim that for myself this yeah. is it but i i was saying how i've realized that these are things that are constantly being revealed to me as opportunities and things come my way maybe they're not things that i would have imagined for myself yeah. but i have to be open like you said and be um Vulnerable and aware, and and have the humility to understand where I may be led yeah. versus where I
1: think I need to be going. That's it. That's it. You know that is actually so huge. Not just because number one, the humility
2: mm-hmm. to be
1: willing to be in service to the world, mm. but it's also the courage because I think the number one fear most people have is feeling invisible, feeling like you're not going to get seen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we think that if we're in control, that we'll get seen. Mm. And really, it's when we step out of that control and we say to God or the universe, whatever you want to say, you you tell me where to go. Mm -hmm. And not only then do we realize that we have a purpose that's so much more significant than we ever thought, but by showing up to serve and making other people feel seen in the way that we can through our work we get seen in a way that we never would if we were just worried. Me, me, me. Make sure you see me. Make sure you know that I'm good at this. Make sure yeah. you know, you know all of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so deep. <laughs> I know. I know it is. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So talk to us a little bit about when you launch these programs, because I know that a lot of people are, they're going to hear you and they're Although you have shared a lot of rawness behind your story and the triumphs as well as the defeats, but they're going to hear, oh, she made $300,000 doing this music stuff. Wow. She sold this course. Oh my gosh. You know, like they're going to hear that and they're going to be attracted to those numbers and the success of that. I want you to talk to us a little bit about how did you set up? the platform to be able to sell these courses, to be able to launch your podcast? What were the things that you did or maybe the things that you needed to think of to make these things a success?
1: Yeah, I love it. I love talking about business just as much as I love talking about the inner work. So fun, so good, Mm -hmm. because it really is all the same stuff, okay? If business works, when you're going to launch a course or a product or a podcast, anything that you want people to come And support and be a part of marketing and sales have to be understood. And most people can't stand the idea of sales because (laughs) everyone knows someone who's pushy and -hmm. annoying. And most people think of sales as like, I'm going to convince you to buy something you don't need or want. (laughs) Well, of course, you don't want to be a part of that. Right. Why would you? Well, that doesn't work. So, good news is you don't have to do that to be successful. It's the opposite. We know from psychology that people will love to pay you or work with you when they know you and like you and trust you. Mm. And we also know that the way it works is there's like an emotional bank account. So if you want someone to like take you to the airport, you don't just call someone you don't know and say, Hey, can you take me to the airport? No, that doesn't make sense. You also wouldn't meet a friend for the first time and then the next day say, "You wouldn't mind taking me to the airport, would you?" It'd be weird, right? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Unless you're having coffee at the airport when you first meet, would you give me a ride home other than that? That is like the weird. It's just off. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. But if you've been making some investment in a relationship over time and there's a lot of goodwill, you might feel comfortable to say, I know it's a big ask, but like, would you mind? And they'd be like, sure. You're my friend. Like, of course. Right. Mm -hmm. So what we know about people is that for every like seven or eight times you deposit, you show up and you're just generous, then it's natural that the person is invested and they actually want to give back. There's like a, an exchange of energy that happens naturally. Right. Mm-hmm. So, with people, when you want to launch something, what you do is you don't just offer it, you don't just put out the sale,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: do the marketing. And marketing is building the trust, telling the story, connecting with the people. So, the first thing you need to do, and we talked about it a second ago, is figure out who you serve. Right. So, it's right. like, what do you do? Who do you do it for? And where do they hang out? And then, how do you show up consistently and give to them for free?
2: Mm -hmm. over
1: and over and over and over and over again. And then give them the opportunity to learn more and to hang out with you more where you can actually do even more, right? Mm -hmm. So what I did with my music course for the very first time, and I I now just do like a, a souped up version of the exact same thing, is I had this idea to launch the music course. I was eight months pregnant with my third daughter. So I remember thinking, all right, well, the due date of her birth is like a good time to make sure this is launched by. It was my very first launch, (laughs) you know? So I'm like, all right, I got two months. So what I did is I figured out, okay, my audience would be songwriters, okay, Mm -hmm. who wanted to figure out how to write music for film and TV. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give them something for free. So I'm going to create, I'm going to sit down and make like an epic cheat sheet of all the things they need to know. And I'm going to just create it and give it away. Mm -hmm. So I posted it and for six weeks, I just said here it is here it is here It is take it take it take it and by the end of six weeks There was a thousand forty five people one thousand forty five people had actually downloaded the cheat sheet And then I offered them something else free I said i'm gonna come on for an hour and do something live And answer questions and teach you some some more of these steps in depth Mm -hmm. And when I did the live thing almost everyone who downloaded the thing showed up, which is crazy Wow. Yeah. And nice. I wasn't, I wasn't a slicko, like smooth operator. So <laughs> I just literally showed up. I didn't have slides. I didn't do any <laughs> of that. I just was like, Hey, and I had a big belly. I was pregnant, you know, all yeah. this stuff. So there was like an immediate trust and intimacy because it was just me being me Yeah. yeah. and people, people don't need you to be perfect. They like would much rather you just be human. Yep. So it actually worked for me. I was just like, what's up? Here's the deal, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of that, I made an offer. I was like, you know, you got the free cheat sheet. I just gave you the hour. And by the way, during the hour, I actually was on for like an hour and a half and I gave them almost everything I could possibly think to teach them. Hmm. And at the end, I was like, if you want, you could join the course and we could just do this for, you know, six months.
2: Hmm. And,
1: out of the thousand or so people that watched that, 147 people signed up and paid me a thousand dollars. Yep. And then, of that, 20% of those people actually got a song in film and TV over the next six months. Mm-hmm. And so, then more people were like, God, that's a big percentage. You know, yeah, you have like all yeah. these people. And then it just kept growing and growing and growing. So it's really the same thing I do with anything. Like if I'm going to launch a program now for creatives or for people who want to find their passion project, what I'll do is I'll give them a free podcast every single week, right? It's like Mm -hmm. twice a week. I show up, deliver the best content I possibly can for free, Mm -hmm. get to know me. I'm super honest. I talk about my own struggles with business, anxiety, friendships, all of it, motherhood. And I deliver as much as I can to give them some help and some fuel and some energy and have good guests on, whatever it is. Right. I give tons of opt-ins and cheat sheets. Then I'll take it to the next level, give something else for free, which might be like a five-day challenge. And then at the end of that, I'll be like, oh, and if you want to work with me, I'm you know there's a course I'm doing for eight weeks. It's 3,500 bucks, or I'm going to do a retreat or whatever the thing is I'm offering. Mm-hmm. And there'll be people who are like, I want to do that. And it's mm-hmm. cool. It's great because there's always going to be, of course, more results you can give people if they have even more time with you and you can go deeper and get to know them on a personal level or give right. them more details of what the steps are. So it's nice to be able to offer different things to your audience, but that's essentially what you got to do is you got to build the runway by giving, 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 giving. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's not really a sale when you make the offer. It's like, yeah. We know each other. You know me. You like me. You see how I am in the world. You know how I can get you results. We've, I've already been doing that for you for free. Right. And now there is another opportunity if you want to get it sort of like on a whole nother level, you can, you know, be a part of my world in a deeper way. hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what year did you start the podcast? How long have you been podcasting? Oh, my God. I only started it in 2017.
0: 2017. Okay. Perfect time because now there's an influx of people podcasting, right? Like the podcast, right? (laughs) So a lot of people that listen to this podcast are potentially even thinking about starting their own podcast because a lot of people are seeing podcasting as maybe a side hustle that they can do while they're also trying to figure out what their next steps are going to be, right? So when you launch your podcast, you said you didn't know anything about it. And if I remember correctly, you launched it
1: right after you had a baby, right? <laughs> yeah. It was like ten days after she was born. And I had never really heard a podcast. Wow. Yeah. And I just was like, oh, I guess it's a good idea. And I was so naive. I, yeah. I was like, I, I mean, I I I thought I would have like a very small audience, you know. Uh-huh. I wasn't naive to that. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, I'm probably not gonna have a big audience, but sure enough, you know. Thinking back, what do you think you did that worked well to
0: create this audience for you? Because, like you said, you had almost like immediate results in terms of you must have done amazing numbers to get that iTunes sort of like traffic or attention, if you will. So, what do you think you did that worked well? To do this conversion, or was it even a conversion? Do you think it was a conversion of some of the audience that you already had that you were teaching the course to that came over to listen to the podcast?
1: I mean, look, it's possible that a few people came over, but we're talking <laughs> about—I had like a few hundred students at the time. You know, mm. we're talking about nine million downloads. So, yeah, I don't think, and I didn't have a book out. I didn't wasn't famous, right? So, I don't think it was enough of a, a, a lift to make that a big splash. I think. What people really don't realize is that, like I said before, I think the number one fear is that we're not going to be seen. Yeah. And I think that human beings are really smart and we are really lonely and we are really broken. Mm. And when somebody is actually genuine, I think words from the heart speak to the heart. I think that when somebody's really willing to put it all out there and be, mm. be really empathetic to where we're at, you know, I hear a lot of podcasters who have answers, but not everybody's willing to share mm. the brokenness.
2: Mm.
1: And my, from my very first show, I was like, look, you know, like I know what it's like not to feel like I'm enough, to feel invisible. My mom was suicidal when I was growing up. I, and I, I was like, and I know people have had it way worse. And mm. listen to me, if you're listening, give yourself credit pull over to the side of your life and look at yourself and be like, look, wow, I survived, you know? And I think people are so in need of someone to stop and see and, and witness their pain Mm -hmm. and be willing to let go of their own shame. Like the person talking and say like, I'm not perfect, but I care. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that it just cut through. And I think, you know, I think Apple probably liked the idea of, um, because they featured it, I think they liked the idea of like, you know, don't keep your day job, be creative, whatever. But I've seen them feature other shows whose hosts were even famous and they didn't stick. Mm. And I think it's because what makes it stick is the way we relate. I think if you look at any content that goes viral, whether it's a blog post, I know Morgan Harper Nichols was on my show. Do you know her? No, I don't. Oh boy, you would love her. Um, <laughs> she's an amazing woman, but um, I think you know she in the last two years grew her Instagram following to like 800,000. Mm-hmm. And again, it was already pretty busy on Instagram two years ago. And right. here she comes along and it's because she was very raw and mm-hmm. made people feel very much not alone. I think any content that goes viral whether it's a blog post or a podcast or a video, I think it's to the extent that the person reflects the feeling of the person who's listening. Yeah, and that connection point. Yeah, and I I think that it's easy to like, just sort of brush this off and be like, no, no, it must be a hashtag you used or whatever. But (laughs) I really think if we're honest, most of what we listen to, we might think it's entertaining or we might think the host is kind of interesting but how often do we really feel this person sees me? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And when someone does, you stick to that person. Mm -hmm. And so we've built the whole thing through word of mouth. We've never done any advertising. Uh, I don't know the first thing about it. I wish I knew (laughs) more about advertising or whatever. Um, And I didn't have a big Instagram following and still don't, you know, it's like, it's just been one person after another telling their friend, telling their friend. Mm -hmm. And when, and when, and the other thing with podcasting, I'll say is that 10% of it is the podcast and 90% of it is everything else. And so I always have been very aware of like, what is the pain point of my audience? And so how can I show up outside of just the show? And so one thing I started doing early on is like, talk in the Facebook group and allow them mm-hmm. to talk and create a safe space for people to engage and you know I started early on doing a second episode every week where we would read letters from people on who listen and mm-hmm. give them a shout out and and we started doing listener interviews where I would actually interview the people who started taking steps toward their dream jobs and we yes had, you know we had a guy on who he was living in Missouri and he was standing in front of a machine that made dog food. And eventually he listened to my podcast and made a cheesecake one day and then made another one. And he took one to the fire station and the firehouse guy loved it and bought 12 the next week for some (laughs) fireman's birthday. And long story short, he wound up opening his own brick and mortar cheesecake shop. And we had this woman, Tumi Makanjula, who's from Nigeria, and she's like in her twenties. And she was listening to the podcast and she decided that she was going to create an ebook teaching people like vegan Nigerian recipes Mm. because of the podcast. And she did it. And within three months, she made 80 grand and she came on and told that story. And then she started to go to these restaurants in London where she was living at the time. She had moved there from Nigeria. Mm -hmm. And she took this like big, brave action of like calling a restaurant and saying, can I do a pop-up night of nigerian food at your restaurant wow i'm I'm always saying on the show like who's your audience who might have your audience where could you take the next messy piece of action step Mm -hmm. and people started letting her do these pop-ups and long story short Whoopi goldberg was going to be in london Mm -hmm. and to me had this like tiny little like uh small little instagram following at the time Mm -hmm. but But her thing was like vegan Nigerian, which was cool and a little bit of a niche, right? Yeah, absolutely. She knew her audience, right? Nigerian people who, or people who are interested in Nigerian cooking and Mm -hmm. vegan. Mm -hmm. So anyway, long story short, Whoopi Goldberg DMs her. She's like, I'm (gasps) going to be in London doing a show and my best friend is Nigerian and is a vegan. And could you Uh... make dinner for us? And she's like, um, yeah. So she makes (laughs) that really a question? Yeah, right. (laughs) She makes them dinner and then Whoopi's friend is like, You're amazing. And Whoopi's like, You should stay. So she stays and hangs out with them. And it just goes on and on. And so we've had so many people listening to the show, taking action, and I would bring them into the show. So my point is, mm-hmm. you know, engage with them. Don't don't make it lip service that you care, but then you don't engage. You yep. don't follow through. You don't listen to their letters. Just the other day, one of my listeners said, I can't believe every time I DM you, you write me back. Mm-hmm. It's like small, but mighty. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. yeah i I absolutely know what you mean, and i'm so glad that
0: you broke all of that down like that because. I get a lot of people that do ask similar questions of me and, you know, my show hasn't done what your show has done. Not yet. (laughs) Right. But it's had organic growth. I've never done any advertising either. And it's all been word of mouth and, you know, social media and everything. But I think that is because number one, I've been consistent, but I also created this show from a place of what what i have wanted to hear when i was in the midst of my transition or at my point like you were at when you're just like i gotta get out of here i cannot do this anymore you know i know what that feeling feels like and so that's why i created the show from that type of place but so many people want to see the instant results and i think a lot of that comes from too not being in a place where you're happy or where you're feeling fulfilled so you're ready to get out of it and you want something to be your savior and you want it to happen overnight and i'm glad that you broke it down the way that you did because that's just not typically how things happen no, and i, I love that patience. you're
1: saying that because the truth is that we set ourselves up to completely fail yeah when we are like I'll give it six months or you know mm-hmm. it's like I know it's uncomfortable, but God willing, the time's going to pass anyway, right? Yeah. going to pass. Four years are going to pass. Do you want to set your – because if you're already saying at some point you're going to be out if this doesn't happen at this point, right. then you may as well quit now mm-hmm. because Seth Godin, who I mentioned before, he wrote a book called The Dip, and The Dip is about how there will inevitably be a moment where you need patience because things are not working as fast as you want or something goes wrong. and. If you stay in it past the dip, that's where scarcity lies, Hmm. right? That's where other people are no longer running the race. Hmm. So you're going to win just by virtue of the fact that you're still standing. Yep. But if you're going to give up just because you get one hit to the jaw, then you should do that now. (laughs) The (laughs) other piece of it is that in order to become brilliant at anything – you have to be mediocre for a while first. Right. So if you're not willing to be mediocre for a while and you're giving yourself this unfair expectation that you either have to be perfect right away and it has to take off right away or you're done, you're actually setting yourself up to lose because no one is born Mozart. Like Mm. Serena Williams did not start that way day one. Right. So she gave herself the grace to say, I'm going to be mediocre until I get mastery over this. Mm -hmm. And that's that's called I am going to persevere and I'm going to stick in it. Mm -hmm. And that will pretty much, you know, that is what they say in the in that book grit I told you about before. Yeah. Perseverance is everything. But what they say is she did the study to find out that the thing that correlates the most with with perseverance is optimism. Mm -hmm. Is that the more optimism you have, the more you're going to stay in it. And that's something that we actually can we we have some control over how much optimism we can cultivate in ourselves
0: right absolutely it may be challenging but it's within your power to be optimistic or not mm-hmm. <laughs> so when you talked about launching the podcast and having these book offers like almost immediately how did we get to the point where we now have our hands on a copy of Don't Keep Your Day Job? And if you don't have your copy, you need to go and make sure you order it, which Aww. I think you already know at this point, because listening to Kathy, you're like, she's amazing. and Aww. she has a book, I need to read it, right?
1: You're so sweet. <laughs> well, go get the book. Go get yes. the book.
0: Yeah. So how did we get to the point from you having these book offers on the table when the podcast first launches? Were you even really considering those offers? Did that seem like something you really wanted to go in the direction of? Oh and then God. now we have this book in our hands now. So what did that process look like? Because that was a, a couple years ago. So now you're actually, you have this actual book. So did you take some of those offers? Did you take meetings? Walk us through what that looked like.
1: Yeah, that was such a process. I had never done that before. So it was like scary and mm. interesting and, and hard and awesome, all the feelings. <laughs> um, you know, I got a book deal offer, and then I thought to myself, well, maybe I shouldn't just take it. I should actually like talk to an agent. So then at <laughs> an agent, and then she said, Well, if you got one offer, you'll probably get another. So then we had a couple meetings and then we got a few offers, and then it was interesting. One one offer was really easy in the sense that they were like, you know, this is the easiest book ever. You should just take every single episode you've done, mm-hmm. staple it together. <laughs> every chapter is a different person and boom. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's such an easy pass for me. That means the book's written, right? Yeah. Just transcripts, a little editing, done. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, no, that's, that's not the book I want to mm-hmm. write. That's not really a book. And, and, um, and so then the next publisher, my publisher, Macmillan, St. Martin's press is the imprint, but it's Macmillan. Mm -hmm. They said, no, if you're going to write a book, we'll give you more money, but we want you to sit down and write the book. Mm -hmm. Like, what are the steps to understanding? What is your job? How do you do it? How do you put it out in the world? How do you turn the thing you love into what you get to do? And you've got to figure out what those steps are. And so that was a test and a half (laughs) because I had to step back and ask myself, what have I been doing all these years that worked? What made it work? How did I get here? Hmm. And I had to ask myself, "What what were the through lines that were consistent with everyone I've interviewed on the show? And what are the most important nuggets? Like that was so hard too. Cause I was like, Oh, I have to share this, but it's too much. What, what, what do I have to get? No, what has to be in and what doesn't have to be in and right. what do I need to say about it? Right. Cause when you're writing a book, you're like, okay, but how, how do you put it all together? So I did. And I to tell you that I, I, I just wrote it is a lie. Like I wrote it and then rewrote it and then rewrote it. Like I, I think there's been six versions of how many, t- like I really, when I tell you, I remember writing the book and writing the book and then literally throwing away the first version, which had already taken a year. And I was like, I can't, no, I need to rewrite it. And then I Whoa. completely reapproached it and rewrote it. And I'm so glad I did. And mm-hmm. what's funny is that I turned the book in months ago so even now I'm like, oh God, I would go back and add this to chapter four <laughs> I <would> change <laughs> chapter eight. But what yeah. my friend, my friend reminded me the other day, she's like, Kath, that's awesome. And you'll put all that new stuff in your second book. She's like, but where you were in a few months ago mm-hmm. is still much further along than where most people have gotten to. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to learn a lot and you're going to be, and I was like, true, true, true. You know? Yeah. Um, so I really do love the book. The book is packed with a lot of really Beautiful insights that welcome you home Mm. to yourself. They 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 invite you to come back and and arrive at your own door and ask yourself these questions of what really do I love? What are the things that are really me? And how do I become more of myself by unbecoming who I'm not? Mm. Because many of us started living the lives that our father wanted us to live, or that Mm. this other person, this teacher, this brother, whoever. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. And so this book is about coming back home to you. Mm. And how do you have the courage to trust that that thing that you've wanted to do, it's gonna lead you. There's a synchronicity that comes when you start to follow your own gut. And maybe you will have to be imperfect and messy. And that's really big because what I talk about in the book is that if you meet a three-year-old you know, I have a 3-year-old and if you walk into her preschool room, there is no child in there that doesn't like to be creative. There's no child in there who doesn't want to play. They're all beautiful and and the thing they have in common is they are all messy. They've got paint in their hair. They don't <laughs> care. And at some point when we're like 8 or 9 or whatever age, everyone who's listening, you, I know you because I've been like you. I'm a human. I'm a person just like you and I know that what happened is that at some point we all got our hearts broken. Mm. Somebody walked out, somebody passed away, somebody said no, somebody didn't love us back. And what we do is we tell ourselves, you know what? I have the most brilliant strategy in the world. I won't want, I won't need, and I won't dream. Because if I want it, then I'll actually be vulnerable and I'll get hurt. And if I dream about it, and it doesn't come true, it'll hurt. So I'll get numb and I'll just do the things that other people want me to do because it's a survival skill and I won't want, and I won't dream. And it's a lie. And so I talk about that stuff in the book and bring you back to a place of possibility and permission to be messy. Mm. And then the second half of the book is like, okay, now What do I have to start to do to move into action? And it's about finding your audience and it's about serving your audience and it's about doing some outreach and then sprinkled in the book are some of the stories from the podcast that give you a sense of what's possible too. Wow.
0: Kathy, you are amazing, honey.
1: Yeah, I that's mean, in you, woo. girl. We, we see in other people what we have. You know that that's true. You know oh, you can appreciate God. me just because there's something in me that obviously is in you. And that's the truth.
0: Woo. I mean, you are just like, you, everybody wants to be your best friend. I already know this. Uh,
2: I think you like that too. Thank you.
1: That's the sweetest compliment.
0: Oh my gosh. So I have enjoyed this conversation so much, but I, I have one last question that I need to ask you because I ask everyone this question. Yep. What does success mean or look like for you?
1: I think success is being able to stop in a moment, be present where you are, take a deep breath in, Feel gratitude that you feel like you're in alignment with yourself, mm. and that being who you are is serving the world, and feeling the joy that you get to do the work, to show up, and uh, and then and then enjoying enjoying it, just enjoying this blessed life, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Woo, perfect way to end this Sunday sermon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know. It's sermon. Let's go to church. Let's exactly. To church. Yes. I, I love it. This is so good. Um, like I feel like you just touched on so many things from being a person, just a person at the top of the interview who comes with your own story to being a businesswoman and navigating that to seeing other people like. I also can't wait to read the book because you're an amazing storyteller, so I feel like we're going to go on this journey, and I'm so excited about it. (laughs) So let everybody know where they can get their hands on a copy of Don't Keep Your Day Job, the book. We know that they can listen to the podcast until their book comes in the mail, but let them know where they can get their hands on a copy and how they can keep up with you and just engage with you and continue like sucking in all of your greatness I guess you could say on their own journey to their success
1: I love it thank you so much uh well this was just such a gift to hang out with you you're really awesome and I know your listeners are cool because they like you So that means they're cool um (laughs) that's true um you know, the book is out. You can get it at barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, wherever you buy books. The audio version, also, I narrated if you want that instead. You can find Ooh. the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The book is called Don't Keep Your Day Job. The podcast is called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Um, and definitely stick around because if you listen to the podcast or you follow me on Instagram at kathy.heller, kathy's with a C, you'll notice I'll be doing like you know, some five-day challenges or an immersion here and there. I, I offer a lot of like cool free pop-up experiences in addition to all of this stuff. So definitely check it out. You can also go to com to find more information, but I'd love to, you know, have you listen to the show. I think that you should start listening to Ayana's uh, podcast episode. She was great. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I mean, I guess I'd love to have you around because you deserve you deserve to feel seen and you deserve to find a way to share your gifts with the world. As, as scary as it is mm-hmm. to put yourself in the world, there are people on the other side of you being scared who will be so grateful that you push through because they need you. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, if I can be the one to keep reminding you along with this beautiful girl right here, then come on over, read the book and um, share it with a friend if you feel like it inspired you. And yeah, say hi, okay. come say hi. Love it, love it, love it. Oh, I forgot to mention something. Yes, go. What is it? Sorry. Go, <laughs> no, you don't guys, worry. I made you a quiz and oh, okay. so cool and people have been loving it and we just put it out and I forgot, I forgot you should t- go ahead and take it. We made a quiz on how to figure out what is your work in this world? Are you a teacher? Are you a creator? Are you a maker? Are you a podcaster? If you go to kathyheller.com, it's on the homepage. Last great. Um, take the quiz. Yes, take
0: the quiz. That's Thank it. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank we appreciate you. Get you. And as always, you guys be good.
2: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Access and Opportunity, a podcast from Morgan Stanley. Women and entrepreneurs of color traditionally have a hard time accessing capital to start or grow their businesses. Join Vice Chairman Carla Harris as she introduces us to the dynamic investors entrepreneurs, policymakers, and others working to close the funding gap for these entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe to Access and Opportunity on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Access and Opportunity, a podcast from Morgan Stanley. Women and entrepreneurs of color traditionally have a hard time accessing capital to start or grow their businesses. Join Vice Chairman Carla Harris as she introduces us to the Dynamic Investors, entrepreneurs, policymakers, and others working to close the funding gap for these entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe to access an opportunity on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.